Well, good morning. My name is Stephen. I'm one of the pastors here. We're grateful that you're here with us today, worshiping with us. You know, as many, if not most of you know, as well as being a pastor here, I'm also a parent of two kids. And this week they were all at VBS, which meant that I got to hear all the songs because I'm a pastor here, which means that I got to hear the songs plus a parent, which means I really got to hear all the songs. And Miss Debbie always nicely every year gives my girls her extra uh, CD with music from VBS so that the, the rest of the year and the years to come, we can continue to listen to these same songs that they are singing all week long. You know, two years ago, uh, our family's favorite song from VBS was this song called Thankful. Uh, the lyrics were really good. Uh, it said, I want to be thankful. I want to be grateful. I want to remember everything that the Lord has done. That's a really good thing, right? I was, I'm always happy to hear my kids singing those lyrics and letting that be truth for them. Uh, last year, our favorite was uh, decidedly less spiritual. <laughs> uh, but in many ways, it was equally as gratifying. And that's because it was uh, the song called The Power Shuffle, which uh, pretty much sampled a lot of stuff from the Cupid Shuffle. So I got to do the dance the whole time as well as uh, have nice VBS type lyrics for the kids. Uh, this year's theme song, if you don't already know it because you have kids who have been listening to it all week and singing it all week, is called Priceless Treasure. And let me share some of these words with you. God knows me. God hears me. God is my comfort. I am his and there's nothing better forgiven and chosen forever. I am a treasure. What good truth for our kids to let it really just sink in on the reality of who God is and how much he loves them. You know, the Bible verse for Monday at VBS this week was Psalm 139 verse 1. Oh Lord, you have examined my heart. You know everything about me. We're finishing a series on the Psalms this morning, and so I thought I would continue with the VBS train that's been going all week long here and talk about one, Psalm 139. Psalm 139 is most known for probably, for many of us, verse 14. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. If there is ever a verse about knowing the truth that we are God's priceless treasure, that would be it, right? Friends, the good news is that God has examined our hearts, that he knows everything about us, that he, and he looks at us and he says that we are priceless, that we're wonderful, that we're not lacking in anything good, that we are his and that he loves us. I want to pray and then we're going to jump into Psalm 139. So will you pray with me? Holy Spirit, we just thank you for your presence here in the spaces that we're at, for speaking to us in our homes, in our cars, at the gym, wherever we are right now. And I ask for you to come and to be working in our hearts. Remind us of the truth of who we are in you and of how much you love us and the value that you find in us. We love you, Jesus. We ask for you to come in Jesus' name. Amen. So 
Before we jump into Psalm 139, I have a confession to make. I have a hobby that's kind of nerdy. Uh, I'm a pretty big baseball nerd. I love the stats and the nostalgia of it. Um, And I'm in one of my happiest places when I'm at a baseball game. Uh, I try to go to at least one game a year at Fenway uh, just because it makes me feel good about life. Uh, And I am pretty, pretty good with sitting and watching a three-hour baseball game on TV. I know that. That puts me in a small category of people, but I enjoy it quite a bit. And recently, I've gotten back into collecting baseball cards. I know, I know. It's a little nerdy and a little childish, but I still really enjoy it a lot. I kept part of my collection from when I was a kid as as I grew up, and I always kept it around with me in a box from place to place as I moved. Uh, And I had this hope, I guess, with it that someday that my cards would actually be worth something. Uh, Maybe that's an unrealistic hope, but I had this hope that that King Griffey Jr. rookie card that I had would someday become rare and would be worth uh, enough money to pay for my kid's college tuition or something like that. Now, it's probably not realistic, but there's a reason that that is this thought that stuck in my head all these years. You know, when I was in my teens, my dad and I had a conversation about his baseball card collection. And we were talking and he started mentioning the cards that he had. And he, like me, had carried around from place to place to place until I was about a year old when they moved houses and he sold all of his cards to his next door neighbor for $400. Now, 1985, 1986, $400 equals about $1,000 uh, for us. So that's, that's good money, right? We would take $1,000 for baseball cards. Most of us would. My dad, though, was born in 1942, which meant all of his cards were from the 40s and the 50s. A pretty pricey era of baseball cards at this point. So my dad and I are talking and he tells me this and then he mentions some of the cards that he had. And these are the names he told me. Ted Williams, Hank Aaron, Willie Mace. And then he told told me that he had a Mickey Mantle rookie card. Mickey Mantle center fielder for uh, the New York Yankees 1952 rookie card. Now, most of you aren't going to know this, but this past January, the, a Mickey Mantle 1952 rookie card was just sold for the highest price ever for a baseball card. And you're like, what, 25 bucks? No. $5.2 million. Friends, if my dad would have kept his cards and passed that on to me, I would have zero student loan debt. I would have a house free and clear. My life would look a lot different if I had been handed along that priceless treasure that my dad had in a box in the attic when I was a baby. You see, there was a value difference between my dad and I when it comes to baseball cards. My, to my dad, those cards were worth roughly $1,000. That was reasonable to him. To me, those cards were worth about 100 times at least that amount. Value is truly in the eye of the beholder. Many of us, most of us would happily sell a box of baseball cards for $1,000. But to the right eye, that box of cards is almost priceless. Psalm 139 tells us that God looks at us and he sees us for what we are truly worth. He doesn't look at us blindly. 
He looks at us with uh, a a well-measured eye that knows what he's looking at. He knows true value. And I want to look at how God values us, what that means for us and the promises that he gives to us as he sees us for who we truly are as we look through this psalm. And real quick, as we go through this psalm, I want to remind us of what the psalms are. The psalms are a book filled with songs and poems written by different people over hundreds of years. Uh, some of the psalms are, are written for the whole nation of Israel. They're a communal songbook written uh, as, as songs to sing as they went to different uh, worship ceremonies, different uh, times of, of meeting together. They're, they're reminders of what God has done for Israel. They're a way to process pain or joy together. Other psalms are like ripped out of journals uh, from people from ages gone by as a, a sort of template for how it is that we can pray and what it is that we're allowed to say when we pray and process our realities with God. And Psalm 139 is a little bit of both of those. It's obviously written from David's own experience of God, but it's also written to help us to experience the truth about God. So let's read Psalm 139, 1 through 6 as we start off. O Lord, you have examined my heart and you know everything about me. You know when I sit down or stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I am going to say even before I say it, Lord. You go before me and you follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to understand. Here's the first promise from Jesus for us. That there's good news. That Jesus knows everything about us and he loves us. Early on in our relationship, Sarah and I had a conversation about some of our fears in marriage. And we talked about some of the things that we were worried about. Uh, One of the fears that we we voiced was that we were worried about what the other would think about us after we had been married for a while. You know, once you know me, will you still like me? Will you get bored of me? Uh, Will my annoying habits push you away? Uh, Will my weaknesses and insecurities uh, push you away? When you see the other side of this carefully constructed wall, will you still like what it is that you see? Have you ever had a conversation like that with somebody? Or maybe the better question is, have you ever felt like that, but you were afraid to voice it? You know, David's expressing his feeling about uh, about this. God, you've seen my heart. You know everything that's going on in my head. Uh, You know my actions. You've seen everything that I do. And yet, you still love me. Friends, nothing is a secret from God. He knows all and he isn't put off by it. And this is really good news, and here's why. You see, vulnerability and openness lead us to being healthy. But hiding and secrets and guardedness do nothing but keep us where we're at. They keep us trapped. Life happens and things happen to us. And I understand that. I've had bad things happen in my life. You've had bad things happen in your life. Uh, I've done bad things. You've done bad things. We all sin. Other people do things to us. They sin. Uh, and out of this, we respond. 
And our response often is by closing up, building taller walls, thicker walls, pushing other people away, uh, constructing masks to hide what's going on beneath the surface. We respond by coping and by distancing ourselves. We do what we feel like we need to do in order to make it. And I understand that. But often we end up building such solid walls that we start to forget what it looks like on the other side of the wall. We forget what it looks like to live differently. We close ourselves off so well that we can't even figure out how to get out. Joe Saxon is an author and a speaker, and, and I heard her in a podcast recently talking about this, and this is what she said. For me, it's not hard to be vulnerable with my broken pieces, and what she meant by that is the events and the big picture realities that affected her, but it's really hard to be vulnerable with my broken habits. It's not the events, it's the habits I form to cope with the events. Can anyone relate to that? You'll share the hard thing that you went through, but talking about the habits that you formed afterwards is off limits. The online shopping, the extra glass of wine every night, uh, the, the hours of video games that you play, the extra sleeve of Oreos that you start eating on the regular, and so on. The ways that you cope with what's happened to you is off limits. You'll talk about what happened, but don't dare touch the things that I'm doing to make myself stay sane. Oh Lord, you've examined my heart and you know everything about me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to understand. You see it all, you know it all, and yet you still love me. And that knowledge is too wonderful for me to even begin to understand or to comprehend. I would struggle to love somebody who is as jacked up as I am, but God doesn't struggle with that. He loves us. Not loves us in spite of it. He just loves us, period. Let's keep going in Psalm 139. Look at verse 7 with me. I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to the heaven, you're there. If I go down to the grave, you are there. If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the farthest oceans, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. I could ask the darkness to hide me and the light around me to become night. But even in darkness, I cannot hide from you. To you, the, the night shines as bright as day. Darkness and light are the same to you. Here's the second promise from Jesus to you. Jesus will never leave you. Now to some, I realize this may sound more like a threat than a promise. I'm an introvert. If you tell me that somebody is going to follow me around all the time, never leave my space, always be where I am, uh, I would say no thank you. I'm not interested in that. I already have two kids. I'm good. I appreciate my space. So let me go at this from a different angle. What happens in the presence of Jesus? What have you experienced in the presence of Jesus? Have you been healed physically, emotionally by Jesus? Have you had anxiety taken away, depression? Uh, have you felt peace or love or joy in his presence? 
What have you experienced in the presence of Jesus? Jesus' promise to never leave us means that we are always in the place where this happens all the time. We are always in the presence of healing, of joy, of love, and of peace at all times. Does that sound good to you? Let me ask you another question. Be honest with me today. Are you tired? Do you, do you feel emotionally tired and drained? You know, we've just gone through a pretty intense year and a half. And in some ways, it doesn't feel like it's over. It's been emotionally draining. Pandemic, social and political unrest, financial struggles, losing loved ones, not being able to process things in the ways that we know are healthy. Uh, it's been everything all the time. And in the midst of this, many of us are trying to be empathetic to other people who are struggling in what we think are, are, are harder ways than what we ourselves are dealing with. And we're struggling to keep our sanity in the middle of that. Because how are we supposed to be empathetic to others to put ourselves in their shoes while we are struggling ourselves? It's an exhausting cycle, and I think it leaves us feeling empty. The question is, how do we refill our tank in the middle or at the end of a pandemic? How do we stay soft when we are really, really tired? Let me tell you what Jesus says. Matthew 5, 28 Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and recover your life, and I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Jesus' promise of never leaving us is the exact gift that we need in this day and in this hour. We can never escape from his presence, which means that we are always in the right place to be refilled and to be healed. The invitation to take real rest with Jesus is one, friends, that we each need to be taking him up on. And I'm not saying this as a suggestion. And in some ways, I'm saying this as a required thing for your sanity. Spend time in the presence of Jesus. Take a day off. Go somewhere where you get refilled. I'm not saying you got to sit there and stare at a wall in a church building. Go where you feel refilled, where you experience the presence of God. If that's out in nature, go to the beach. Go on a hike. Uh, go camping. Uh, if that is on your couch, do that. Do whatever refills you. And take that time and be intentional about spending it with Jesus. This isn't a suggestion. Honestly, I think that it's required for us today. You need to care for yourself. Your family needs it. Your job requires it. Your mental stability and emotional health require it. Take time to sit in the presence of Jesus and let him refill you. You need this. Get refilled in his presence. Let's keep going and see what else David has for us. Verse 13. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and you knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous, how well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. 
You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts about me, O God. They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. When I wake up, you are still with me. Promise number three. You were created and your life has a plan and a purpose. Friends, you are not accidental. You were intentionally created and knit together in the exact way that God wanted you. You are a priceless creation, wonderfully complex, created for a purpose. You have a purpose that Jesus made at the beginning of the world for you. Don't dismiss this as sentimental nonsense. Accept this as the truth of how he creates you. It's desperately important that we grasp a hold of this truth to be healthy and to live our lives well. We are created by a creator who loves us, who is actively engaged in our lives and created us for a reason a purpose that goes way beyond what we can imagine. You know, there's a story about Picasso where Picasso was sitting in a, a cafe having dinner and a, a, an admirer saw him and came up to him and asked him if he would draw something for them on a napkin. And so he, he sat there, he said, sure, fine. And he drew out this sketch and then he handed it back to the admirer. But before he, he let go of it, he said, It'll cost this this much money. And the admirer was shocked and, and disgusted in some ways and said, like, how can you ask for so much? Like, it only took you a minute to draw this. And Picasso looked and he said, no, it took me 40 years. Your worth is not just based on you. It is based on the one who created you. You weren't haphazardly put together. You were intentionally created and given purpose by the master of creation. Your worth is not found in what you accomplish. It is not found in how attractive you are by societal standards, by how smart you are by societal standards. Your worth is rooted in your creator. Because before time, God looked at the world outside of time, I believe, in a a different plan plain than we can see. And he stopped and he looked at all of creation that he had created. And he looked at it and he said, it is good. And in that moment, when he said that it was good, he was looking at each and everything, including you and including me. And he looked at us and he looked at our lives and he looked at how we were going to live and who we were and how we were being made. And he looked at us and he said, it is good. His finished product includes us. You were created. You were given a purpose. And Jesus looks at you and says, you are good. You are his magnum opus. You are his masterpiece. He saw you from the beginning of time and said, you are good. You know, for some reason, we tell our kids this and we we believe that it's good and healthy and necessary to teach our kids this truth. But when it gets repeated to us as adults, you know what we do? We dismiss it as sentimental mush and and kind of poo-poo it and, and shove it off. But truth that's good enough for your kids is also good enough for you. This is truth. Accept it. It will change you. Look at verse 23 and 24 as we begin to finish. 
Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. What is our response to these promises of Jesus? It needs to be this prayer. Help me to live a life worthy of your love. David Benner says, he's an author, and he says, conversion, which is the process of being made like Jesus, of accepting the salvation that he gives us. So conversion is the lifelong transformational process of being remade into the image of God. The focus is Jesus, not myself or my sin. The ending of this psalm is a prayer of conversion, a prayer of transformation. Search me, check my heart, test me, show me what I need to change. Lead me on the right path, the path that leads to living a life in the presence of Jesus. Jesus knows everything about us. He promised that he would never leave us. He made me, he made you, he gave us a purpose and he calls us good. We are his priceless treasures, his magnum opus, his masterpiece peace. Value is truly in the eye of a beholder, and the beholder who looks at us knows what true value is with humanity, and he looks at us and says, you are priceless. Do you want to live a life that reflects that truth? Do you want to throw out the other lies? As we end, I want to invite you just to pray these last two verses with me. In a time of just saying, okay, Jesus, I want this for my life. Simply just put out your hands like this and pray along with me. We put out our hands just as a way of saying, okay, Jesus, I surrender. I give you control. Come and move in me. Let's pray. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you. Lead me along the path of everlasting life. Help me to live a life worthy of your love, Jesus. Let these words be true. Let us live our lives in this way. Thank you for your promise to us. In Jesus' name, amen.